Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm Bruce McCurdy of the Edmonton Journal's Cult of Hockey, and I'm here tonight with my colleague Kurt Levins, all the way from Pender Island in British Columbia, where Kurt has watched and graded tonight's Oilers win 3 nothing over Chicago Blackhawks to uh, make for a 15-game winning streak by the Oilers. How about that? 16. We want 16. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. But uh, how about that? 15 straight. Yeah. Those stingy Oilers shut down another team to, 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 to run it to tied for the third best winning streak of all time who who knew that 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 the defense would be a key in a run like that for this club so yeah their goal suppression is this off the charts good eh 13 games in a row with two or less and you might remember uh the game before that they beat the rangers four to three and new york scored with one second left in the third period to make it four three just before christmas right yeah and Stu Skinner was unhappy to give up that third goal. And he was so unhappy that he nor neither he nor Cal Pickard has given up a third goal in any game since 13 straight of two or fewer. Unreal. So, so uh, Kurt, tonight we're going to do the, our usual format. Two good things, two bad things, two numbers and one conundrum, which we will discuss together. Uh, so I'll let you lead off with uh, what did you choose for your good thing tonight? Well, I chose as my good thing uh, Calvin Pickard, who, of course, uh, made 27 saves for the shout out, including a uh, stop on a penalty shot. Nice. Um, was I As I was sitting there doing the grades tonight, I was kind of waffling back and forth between a nine and a ten. But I ultimately thought that the penalty shot save put it over the top. Uh, and and so I gave him the nice rounds number 10. And, you know, what a story this is when you think about it. You know, Calvin Pickard started off the season as the organizational number three goaltender, as someone probably put on a business card somewhere at some point in time. And it would have been pretty easy to assume that we wouldn't see Calvin Pickard after training camp. Anytime yeah. this season, um, you know, usually those those are the kind of goaltenders who are signed in case one of your main two guys gets hurt, right? Right. Um, and otherwise, they they often toil away in the AHL for for the season and you know happily collect their 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 paycheck and then another year of pro hockey in the books and in a way they go. But when Jack Campbell stumbled so badly out of the gate, neither Campbell nor Skinner were were good early. Well, up comes Calvin Pickard. And I think at the time, Bruce, maybe they were just thinking, well, you know, maybe a change uh, like this would just give the team a bit of a jolt. Well, I do think it did that. But I think what they found out in the process is that they've got an, a pretty good National Hockey League caliber number two goaltender. He, he's not a He's not what I would class as a as a one B. I think he's a right. true backup in the true sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Um, but all he does is win. No. <laughs> you know, it's it's pretty hard to find fault in the guy's game. And I would and I would suggest, and probably as an old goalie, you can relate to this. What I find particularly impressive is because Skinner's playing so well, 
Pickard's going a long time in between starts. Two weeks this time. Right? Yeah. And if you look back over his the course of, of time since he's been up, um, there's been double-digit days between, I think, all but two of his starts. Yeah. Um, and in my books, that makes the, the mission doubly hard and that much more impressive. Um, so as good as Pickard was tonight, was the game's first star, got a 10 at the Cult of Hockey. But I think really bigger picture, we went from saying, oh, this is great. He's buying Ken Holland time to the point now where I think it's fair to say, well, maybe he's what he's done is he's saved Ken Holland from having to spend assets on another goaltender. It's it's just a wonderful story that keeps uh, that keeps playing out. And it's and it's impossible not to cheer for this guy as I oh, think yeah. Rogers place tonight when I think he got a standing ovation when yeah, he came I would imagine. For, for first star. Mm-hmm. Well, he's now running five, two and oh on the season, uh, nine, 15 save percentage, two thirty four goals against average. Twice he was beaten by Florida Panthers. Who's one of the highest scoring teams in the league. And otherwise he's just shut teams down and, you know, won basically low scoring games. And, uh, uh, you know, what's what's not to like? I mean, I keep hearing out there, Oilers still need to trade for another goalie because what happens if Stu gets hurt in the playoffs? Do you want to make a run at it with Cal Pickard? Well, you could ask that question of the number two goalie on a lot of teams, yeah. you know. Uh, and anyways, uh, so far, whatever questions are being asked, uh, he's answering them. Yep, and from what I oh. gather, he's he's... He's tremendous in the room. And you know the old saying, well, if he's so good in the room, leave him in the room. But if he can yeah. give you but if he can give you both, which yeah. is what Pickard seems to be doing, mm-hmm. well then man, and at this point, I know there there have been people saying, Oh, you know, maybe it's time to to give because Jack Campbell's been playing okay in Bakersfield. He has. You know, maybe maybe it's time to bring Jack up and give him a start again. Well, I'm here to tell you, Bruce, that if you it's put not. Calvin on waivers right now, <laughs> he's he gone heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. You wave them, you're wave them goodbye. Yeah. And that would be a really dangerous thing yeah. to do in this situation. Yeah. I, I think it's well, hold and, to your cards, man. And Campbell, to call him up, you'd have to send out Pickard and another player to make room for him salary. So I think Jack is just stuck where he is for the foreseeable. And I mean, he's eligible to come up in the playoffs. And maybe, you know, if they did run into some emergency in the playoffs, at least they have that option then. Yeah. But for now, uh, they've got two goalies that they seem pretty happy with, and uh, uh, whichever one's in net on any particular night, they're coming up with the stops. And uh, as you say, some pretty big saves tonight by Pickard, especially uh, the breakaway and the subsequent penalty shot where he had to make two saves, but you know, one on the breakaway, and they still called the penalty shot, and they stopped, and he stopped that. That was a big turning point in the game. Chicago makes it 1-1 there at the end of the second period. Third period is maybe a different uh, different story. Sure, Chicago was more than just hanging around. They, they were. They, they played were, hard, but they were they were a they were a game foe. It didn't look ever? like they were playing on back to back nights. They were playing their third and four days. Uh, they were coming in from Seattle, so they had uh, like a fairly long flight for a back-to-back against the clock, so they lost an hour. And apparently they hit their motel rooms at 3, 3 a.m. And this after, you know, Vancouver on Monday, Seattle on Wednesday, and then Edmonton on Thursday. They came into this game on, get this, 
0-17-1 streak on the road where they scored 29 goals and allowed 84, well, 82, 80, 85 now after tonight's game, 29 to 85 in a 19 game road losing streak and missing Connor Bedard and six veterans who make a combined $28 million. Yeah. So it's like, the, the like it, this was as close to a, like I, I'm surprised or maybe they did take this game off the board in terms of the, the betting Odds had to be so extreme for the team on the 14-game winning streak, resting at home, fully healthy. And yet the Hawks gave Edmonton a, a real handful tonight. My hat's off to them. That's two games in a row they did that. Yep. Yep, uh, and I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say Calvin, Calvin Pickard stole this game because if you look at zone time and possession, mm-hmm. the Oilers were clearly the better team. Right. Uh, but they needed him tonight. If, yep. if Pickard well, hadn't played well tonight, it could have been a different outcome. Well, Peter Mrazek was ready, willing, and able to steal it for Chicago, and he might have done so if Chicago had potted a couple at the other end because he was yep. making uh, making life difficult for the Oilers shooters. So yeah, it's a few times that's guard, happened right? where you could say Oilers Oil goalie didn't steal, but he didn't get stolen, right? Yeah, yeah, good one. Yeah. So that's a nice one. So uh, for my good thing, I'm going to go to the the uh, fairly obvious one at the other end, and maybe I'll just pick the entire nuclear option that people were concerned about of the recombination of uh, Connor McDavid with Leon Dreisaitl and oh yeah, Zach Hyman on the wing, which is the three highest scorers on the club. And they actually, um, to his credit, uh, Chris Knobloch put this line together in the third period against Columbus on Monday, in fact, or Tuesday. He put all of tonight's lines together. He shuffled after a pretty brutal first two periods that the Oilers were extremely fortunate to be tied 1-1 against Columbus. And the third period, all the lines clicked, and the three of them each scored, and the Oilers won going away 4-1. So Knobloch said, okay, let's try this for a while. And people, some people are questioning him, and I'm going, geez, coach has won 14 straight. Maybe he knows what he's doing. <laughs> Maybe, you know. Yeah. And, you know, why not? Like, McDavid's been struggling uh, offensively. Like he he's playing hard. Uh, I think two way hockey, but he's he's gone eight games. Uh, he he only scored seven points in eight games, and he never scored more than one in any of those games. It was the first time since his rookie season, 2015-16, that he'd gone such a long stretch without multi point games. And, you know, I looked through all of his game logs to go back to see if I could find one this long. And I had to go all the way back. And there were other times in there where he had like seven game streaks where they were all multi-point games. <laughs> so this is a, a, a bit of a drought for uh, McDavid. So putting him with sort of high skill line mates and uh, against a, a struggling opponent was maybe not a bad a recipe. And, and truth be told, it's that line that won this game for the Edmonton Oilers at the offensive end of the sheet. Much as the whole team deserves the credit for the shutout, it was uh, McDavid with two goals and an assist, uh, Hyman with a one goal, and Drysaddle with three assists that basically did all of the damage uh, offensively. I think Nugent Hopkins picked up an assist on the one power play goal. And there was only one power play in this entire game, and Edmonton scored on it. Chicago had the penalty shot, and otherwise it was pretty much five-on-five hockey. But I thought uh, McDavid in particular had a very strong game. He had seven shots on net. Uh, He had uh, 
Uh, Abington's one penalty, which was a, a coincidental minor with Jason Dickinson, who McDavid absolutely rocked with the biggest hit of the night. And then they had a, what a 20 or 30 second grapple on the ice where neither guy would let the other one get up. But uh, anyways, he was, uh, uh, I thought, more dangerous offensively and got rewarded for it tonight than we've seen for a while. And Leon was just feeding these seeds across the ice to what dark another <laughs> eh? yeah yeah there was one one shift in the third where uh, uh hyman set up mcdavid and seconds later dry just flat out stole the puck and set up hyman in the slot and then he pounced on the rebound did a spin around and set hyman up in the slot again and he was just sifting them through and as i say he got three assists in this game even though he had no shots on goal i thought it was a pretty strong uh, strong game by uh, the Big Diesel, and Hyman was Hyman, you know, going hard to the net, and he did manage to finish the one. And he had how many shots did he have? Uh, four, eight shot attempts, yep. you know. And I thought just all three of them. And by the third period, they were dominating. It took a while where they were, you know, in Chicago. At a certain point, they were starting to skate and crisscross and stuff, and Chicago just didn't know what to do with them. And if it wasn't for Mrazek, they maybe even could have got got a couple more just in that third period. So uh, I will single out or triple out uh, that entire line uh, with a special assist to Coach Chris Knobloch for... uh, uh, making the choice that he did to uh, put them together and, and uh, 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 sort of lean on them for a game. I don't think we'll see it for long, Kurt. I really don't. But uh, I th- th- yeah. thought it was, I was totally copacetic with the idea for tonight after what I saw in the last game. And it proved out to have been a wise choice by uh, Coach Knobloch. Yeah, when you think about it. The Oilers have won 15 games without their two best players really clicking on all cylinders. Oh, right? that's right. Offensively. So that's right. if you've done if you've done that with without them being right at the top of their offensive mm-hmm. game, if they get hot, I mean, yeah. look. <laughs> right? Yeah, and if the power play gets hot, which you know we have every reason to expect that it might sure. get hot, the power play yeah. that's been. You know, I mean, it's about sixth in the league or something now, and it seems like they're kind of not not cooking with gas. Um, but anyway, they their thing is that the the Oilers in a 15 game winning streak, you'd think the team is firing on all possible cylinders, and they're actually not. Like they're you know their 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 defensive game is is beyond amazing, but offensively, you know, it's been ages now. Uh, since they scored as many as five goals in a game. Mm-hmm. This is nine. If if you assume, I'm not a betting man, so I don't track this stuff, but I would bet that the over-under on most Oilers games is probably 6.5. And if you've been betting the under, you've been winning because they've been under 6.5 nine games in a row. Well, here again tonight, I think they only <laughs> allowed two shots against in the last 10 minutes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there was one dangerous deflection from the slot that uh, Pickard handled, and otherwise uh, uh, Chicago was, you know, you could see they were a little bit running on fumes at the end, and Edmonton was raising their game in the third period again uh, mm-hmm. to a point where, you know, the other team couldn't handle it. But uh, it was still tense enough that, you know, uh, one mistake would have made things real 
tense real fast. For sure. And it seems like every game, it seems like it's one nothing in the third period. It's like, what's going on here? Is this New Jersey Devils from <laughs> 1995 or what? <laughs> so games are not all thrillers, but they're tense and uh, engaging in that sense. At least Jacques Lemaire is nowhere in evidence, Bruce. Oh, well, maybe Chris Knobloch is the new hand. No, I won't go there. <laughs> I don't I won't go there. Okay, uh, well, now that I've said that, that may already be my bad thing for just having enunciated that thought out loud. Kurt, what is your bad thing from this uh, game? My bad thing, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a little reluctant to give a bad thing because I was mm -hmm. just listening to poor Reed Wilkins do the post-game show and, and listening to some fans pick apart the 15-game winning streak. Oh, um, stop it. Yeah, I know, right? Um, but, hey, it's what, it's what we do, and so... I've come up with Vinny DeHarnay, who had mm -hmm. who committed the giveaway, which led to the uh, penalty shot, which uh, the aforementioned Calvin Pickard had to thwart. Mm -hmm. um, there's a case where, and I think both you and I see Vinny in a very similar light. He's come miles yep. uh, and has become a very dependable third-pairing defenseman, an excellent penalty killer for this club. So mm -hmm. I certainly don't mean to denigrate anything that he's accomplished. Right. Um, at play though when it's it is a at best that was a 50 50 puck that has to he either has to eat that or it has to get flicked into into the corner there is shoot no, it eh? yeah especially with the guy like Vinny, who he surely understands who he is and what his skills are and aren't mm -hmm. and when he's faced with a 50 50 puck you eat it or dump it mm -hmm. right? And I'm sure he was thinking that as he was trying to catch. And he did catch his man. I'll give him credit. <laughs> he busted his ass and got back. And uh -huh. uh, and you could certainly argue whether or not he impeded Chicago's ability to, to get a shot away. They I think did he get did. Not much of a shot. Yeah. But and it then... was a clear-cut breakaway to start mm -hmm. with. So, I mean, I don't really argue the call. Right. I no, I don't either. Back. He just needs to make a different decision in in that moment and another time i'm sure he will but that was my bad thing tonight yeah finney actually led the order defense corps with four shots on net in this game and he was uh he was actually uh pretty decent in the offensive zone but that was a bad tr decision in the split second there like he got fed the, the puck under heavy traffic and he tried to sift it through and it ended bad well didn't end entirely badly, but it did not. It did not go as as per protocol. Let's it didn't it end as way. bad as it could have. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm struggling for a bad thing too. You know, the 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 orders didn't do a whole lot, uh, like super wrong in this game. I think I'm just gonna uh, I'm just gonna single out again the the slow start. And I keep going back to this because it keeps happening. And of course, the the uh, 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 the flip side of the slow start is the, is the fast finish that we've been seeing in games. But the first period, especially the uh, early going, wasn't too bad. And then the second half of the first period, I thought actually this is where Pickard did some of his best work. That uh, Chicago had had four Grade A shots and sort of a four or five minute span there at the uh, tail end of the first, uh, let me see, 629, 628, two right in a row. 
435-304. So four grade A shots in three and a half minutes. And it just was a little bit of a lull there. And the score was 0-0. And it was like the Oilers were feeling their way into the game again. And they got away with it. So it's not a you know super bad thing, but it was... There was a time in the game where I was frustrated that I thought Chicago was outworking the Oilers, and I couldn't really properly explain that other than, you know, they just weren't fully dialed in for for a bit. So, yeah. uh, but that's, as bad things go, that's a pretty, that's a soft call, but uh, that's all I got because well, uh, there's no no standouts of, you know, well, this guy sucked, you know, there's nothing like that. Yeah. 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 You know what? <laughs> I certainly agree with your assessment, uh, and and a lot of people will have a hard time swallowing what I'm about to say, but you know it was the Chicago Blackhawks on a Thursday night. Yep, um, that is kind of hard to get up for. I mm-hmm. remember my brother, who is a who is a an exceptional uh, junior hockey player, and I remember one night Swift Current went into Saskatoon. And, and Saskatoon wasn't good to begin with, and the mm-hmm. Broncos just hammered them, 10-1. Oh. Um, and my brother, who was leading the league in goal scoring at the time, wow. uh, didn't, didn't get a point or a shot on net. <laughs> he played for the team with the 10? With the 10. <laughs> and, and, I, wow. and I remember talking to him after the game, and he just kind of shook his head woefully, and he said, you know, Kurt, some nights you just don't have it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, well, and like... I was I was thinking of my 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 brother tonight watching watching that mm-hmm. game where I go yeah it was it was probably just as hard to get up mm-hmm. to play Chicago as it was to get up to play Saskatoon mm-hmm. that night so I, and I know mm-hmm. the average fan hates to hear that but any player will tell you that it does happen and it's it's frustrating uh-huh. um, but it it does show you just how much of the game depends on oh. raw emotion. It's, and it's such a grind. I mean, 82 games. I mean, most players, they might tell you that privately. Only Jason Arnott will say something publicly. Remember, he said, well, I just wasn't that into it. Yeah. <laughs> and he lost a significant portion of the fan base. I, I thought just for being honest, personally, uh, well, you know, I mean, it's not a good explanation, but it's an explanation. You know, he just wasn't feeling it. He may be a poor choice of words, you know. Yeah. But he lost some uh, uh, support with that particular admission. So most players would prefer, you know, they might tell you that, you know, in private, but. Uh, you gave them truth serum, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, uh, Kurt, what what uh, what have you got for a number tonight? My, my number, it would be, there's one number that's obvious and there's the elephant in the room, but that's as, as the veteran on the podcast tonight, that's, mm-hmm. that's yours. My number tonight is 100, um, which may seem a little bit out of left field, but the victory tonight for Calvin Pickard, his shutout victory, his fifth career shutout, by the way, Mm -hmm. uh, the last time he had earned a shutout was November of 2018. Wow. Um, And uh, 100 was the number of NHL starts that he now has after tonight. Tonight was NHL start number 100 for Pickard, and he celebrates it with the shutout. Two, two pretty round numbers, and I think a, a pretty happy mm-hmm. goaltender at the end of it. Stopped, um, stopped 100% of the shots he faced, too, eh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
And by the way, and I don't know if you've caught this, mm-hmm. um, of, of the 100% of the shots he stopped, of course, as we already discussed, one was a penalty shot. Yes. That was the second penalty shot that he's faced in his NHL career. Wow. Would you like to guess who the team was that he faced the other one? Uh, I wouldn't be able to guess that, but uh, you're going to probably tell me the Oilers, are you? It was it was the Chicago Blackhawks. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. The Oilers never got penalty shots. What am I saying? Yeah, yeah. He was... <laughs> he was he was with Colorado and it was with the uh, Chicago uh, Blackhawks and it was Jonathan Taves that beat him on that night. Yeah, Jonathan Taves. He uh, he knew how to convert a penalty shot or shootout attempt. He was famous for it from his World Junior days. He he was. So there's a there's a few mm-hmm. neat bits of history. So this was his first penalty shot save of his career. Yes. And his hundredth start. Yeah. Wow. Good stuff. Yeah, well, it's hard not to feel, you know, that's a feel-good story, and tonight it's a feel-real-good story for uh, Cal Pickard, who is answering the the critics in the best way possible by stopping pucks and getting wins. Yep, 100%. So, yeah. so uh, my, my number, <clears throat> well, it's 15, of course, but <clears throat> it's also 30, and 30 is the number of goals, real goals, that the Oilers have scored after... The second Zamboni during the winning streak, and mm. in the in the 15-3rd periods, they've outscored their opponents 28 to six, just in the third period alone, and then two other games that carried on to overtime. Of course, they scored the winner in the, both those games in overtime, and then the, well, the three that carried on to overtime, two they won in overtime, and the third one, which goal I'm not counting, is the shootout goal because it doesn't really get recognized as a goal anywhere but the standings but they scored 30 real goals in the last 15 third periods two per and they've given up six so their average uh, third period overtime has been two goals for and 0.4 goals against a five to one ratio of goals in crunch time of this entire long string of games. And many of those games, that winning goal has been scored in the third period or overtime. Some games, the tying goal has been scored before the winning goal in the third period. And they've just been, uh, they've just been uh, fire in the third period and dominating many games. Like, I don't know what the shot counts are, but I know a lot of games where it's by the third period, Edmonton is just all over the other guys. And that's... Uh, Real nice to see, and they've got the you know the results to back it up. I think now we're up to maybe three of those goals are empty netters. Mm-hmm. For a long time there were none at all. But the last couple of games they've had a, they've had uh, uh, Hyman got one in Calgary uh, the other night, and there's uh, maybe one uh, not much before that. Uh, otherwise, it's been you know a lot of two one three one four two games. Um, when I think about it, you know, this is this team's going to make the playoffs. We just don't know where they're going to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think playing games like this now is probably healthier than yeah. winning five and six one games because yeah. these are the kind of grinds that you have to win come postseason time. Yeah, yeah, you got to know how to how to hang on to a one goal lead. You got to know how to produce a goal down the stretch somehow when you need it. And they're just doing those, getting those key key plays and and 
the bend don't break defense and as you say two shots in the last 10 minutes which has been a pretty frequent occurrence of late like i think that last game they said there's been six games in a row where they had three or fewer shots in the last 10 minutes and basically they were leading all those games Crazy. And you would think that that you know the other team would be pouring it on and i think the columbus game i think they got credited with four shots in the last 10 minutes but but uh they weren't exactly dangerous ones and then tonight chicago just got two and I thought so. Matisse Ekholm was just terrific tonight. Mm-hmm. But you know what? The neat thing about this streak is the back pressure that we're seeing from the Oilers forwards is not something that I'm used to seeing on a consistent <laughs> basis, but it has become consistent. Uh, from top to bottom, all of their forwards are coming back. And, and, and the attacking teams don't have near the room through the neutral zone that, that, that I remember them having. Right. Yeah, I'm not seeing too many odd man rushes, especially later in games mm-hmm. where, you know, if one defenseman gets burned on the pinch and all of a sudden there's only one guy back and the forwards are all, you know, behind the net and uh, the other guy's got, you know, time to make a play. And we're just not seeing too many of those at all. So yep. that's, uh, and credit the forwards. And it's mm-hmm. all of them, you know, it's McDavid, it's Dreisaitl, and but it's also the... The rank and file guys. So, you know, Matthias Janmark, I mean, here's a player, grinder, depth forward. Over the 15 game winning streak, he's been on the ice for zero goals against, not even <laughs> one at five on five. That's one remarkable. power play goal against. He's played like half an hour on the penalty kill, and they gave him one goal on, in that situation. And uh, not producing a whole lot at the other end, but when you're giving up none, you're not hurting the team. You know? Yep. Yep. You, so, you know what to expect game in and game out. Yeah. Yeah. A whole lot of nothing. You remember the zero line with uh, Anaheim, Sammy Paulson and Travis Moan? I'm do. still, I can't remember who the third guy was. It's just, just slipping my mind. I built the same thing. I don't remember. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it was, uh, it, well, maybe I should look up the Anaheim team and I might find out. But anyway, we'll leave that for the next podcast that I mention it because for whatever reason, there are many players on the Oilers that are reminding me of the zero line just now. Yeah, anyways, so... I'm just, uh, I'm, just, I'm just laughing because some of those bad Oilers teams <laughs> had zero lines, but they were zero lines for a different reason. <laughs> yeah. Zero four. Yeah. But uh, not necessarily so good on the against side of the equation. Okay, and I've, I've become curious. Uh, Anaheim, when they won the cup, yeah. it's going to be some some schmuck way down at the hmm. bottom end of the charts. Like, uh, uh, no, not him. Anyway, not Todd Marchand. But uh, anyway, they had uh, Paulson, Moe, maybe it was Andy McDonald that was the third guy on the line. Anyways, it was uh, an effective line for them. And Oilers, you know, their bottom line, you know, the Connor Brown and, and uh, uh, Derek Ryan, Matthias Janmark, they, they never score, almost never score, but they're not giving up a damn thing. So that's yep. great. So, uh, anyway, they're on the list along with maybe a couple other guys in answer to our conundrum, which is that the orders have stated that on Saturday, uh, Corey Perry is likely to make his debut 
as a member of the Edmonton Oilers. And my question to you, Mr. Kurt Levins, is who comes out of the lineup of a 15-game winning streak team to make room for the new guy, yeah. the old guy? <laughs> well, you could make one argument that no one should. No. Uh, but, and, and, I, and I get that argument. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. mean to dismiss it outright. But the fact of the matter is, if you, if you look at how this 15-game winning streak has transpired, there are players that have come in in the middle of it. Yep. Um, Bill um, and yeah, and there are players that have been sent to the minors in the middle Shame of it. Shane Samblin, so, yeah. Yeah, so it's, pre- it's pretty hard to, to say that, uh, you know, Corey Perry's got to wait until they lose. I mean, mm-hmm. they are going to be a better team with him in the lineup. Um, so to your question. Um, Tough one, isn't it? Well, it is. Um I tend to think, even though he's been playing better lately, mm-hmm. maybe the answer is Connor Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I have a feeling that that um, third line that we saw tonight um, is two thirds of what we're going to see on Saturday yeah. uh, with Corey Perry. Mm-hmm. And it's not that you couldn't take Connor Brown and move him to the fourth line. Um, but, um, you know, is he, is he better than Matthias Janmark? Um, I think they're probably the same in terms of their value to the penalty kill and Janmark has more offense. Um, you Certainly. could suggest, you could suggest Sam Gagne. Well, Sam Gagne is on a 20 goal pace in limited ice time. It's pretty difficult to take him out of the lineup for what he brings to the table. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Perry doesn't play center. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think that, you know, any, any of your, I don't, for instance, I don't think right. Dylan Holloway's coming out of the lineup. At least I think, frankly, I think they'd have to have rocks in their head if they took him out. Yeah. Um, so my answer is, I think either Connor Brown or Matthias Janmark, not that either of them defensively has done anything to deserve coming out. Um, but you just have to believe that if you replace either one of them with Corey Perry, you're better. I think mm-hmm. you probably are. And I mean, no disrespect to the two players who risk having for it. Yeah, I guess if you could be guaranteed a game of no penalties like tonight, then you could be a little happier to take out a PK or I'm a little reluctant to, uh, to remove uh, Janmark or Brown. That have been a very good tandem on the penalty kill. Or Derek Ryan, who's been on the first PK unit with R and H, but the solution that I've personally landed on—who knows what the coach will do—but what I would consider doing if I were the coach, which I'm not, is uh, especially after the break here, which is coming on very fast. Uh, they play 37 games in 73 days, literally a game every other day, the whole rest of the way, three and a half, 3.6 games a week for the last 10 weeks. And that is a he- very heavy toll. And I want, and at some point someone's going to get hurt and it's going to become moot, but let's just pretend that things are just sailing along and everybody's good to go. Yeah. I would be very tempted to, uh, just rotate about five guys at the bottom end of the lineup, including Corey Perry, including Sam Gagne, including the three penalty killers that we just mentioned, uh, 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 
Ryan and Janmark and Brown. And in any given game, four of them skate and one of them sits. And then when you get all these back-to-backs and so on, you won't get, you know, some of these 30-plus-year-old guys wearing down a bit. And even you could include Evander Kane on that list if he's, you know, if he's he's been battling through physical issues. And by the style of game that he plays and the age that he's becoming, those aren't going to entirely go away. And if he needs the odd... uh, Odd rest, they're in a position to do this. They have 13 uh, NHL class forwards available right now and only 12 spots to put them, uh, which is a good problem to have. Well, you uh, know, I don't mind your solution uh, with three players in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with Perry, uh, with, um, with uh, Sam Gagne, uh, mm-hmm. and with Derek Ryan. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe they're the three oldest players on the team. Yes. Um, and uh, it's a tough old grind, right? Yes. And I think all three of those guys mm-hmm. will be very valuable to this club down mm-hmm. the stretch. But none of them will be if they're worn out with their tongues dragging out. Um, so I, I think your idea has merit. You know, mm-hmm. if you can keep this lineup fresh, that's going to be better for everybody. And mm-hmm. and I do, I think it's a safe assumption to say that those three guys who are a little longer in the tooth could yeah. probably use a rest every yeah. now and again, um, mm-hmm. and it also keeps everybody involved. So um, whether it's three players or five in the rotation, I think your idea is really creative, and I think Chris Knobloch would be quite smart to listen to Coach McCurdy and <laughs> and adopt <laughs> at least a version of it. So. Yeah, well, if they're going to be playing, you know, four games in a week. And some of these 34 and 37 year old guys, uh, you know, if they play three of the four, hey, you know, they're still getting lots of lots of game action, yeah. And and you know, use they be using their depth to the advantage of you know keeping their team uh, moderately rested. And of course, all that said, we know that as we get into these games, the thick and fast games, the guys playing 22 minutes at the top of the lineup. They're going to wear down a little bit too, so they're going to be counting. A little, I think a little bit more on the depth guys to grind it out on on some nights, so that they're not constantly leaning on McDavid, Drysdale, Hyman, Nugent, Hopkins to play north of 20 minutes. Uh, it's one thing when you're playing playing uh, three games a week, but when you're playing four, that changes uh, changes the equation. The last week of the season, Kurt, they play five games in seven yeah. days. Thank you, Mister Schedule Maker. Yeah. Well, you know, I'd go a step <laughs> further, and I'd say that if some of these bottom six guys that we're talking about aren't playing meaningful roles down the stretch, that doesn't bode well for the club. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think in this day and age, but probably in all time, uh, Stanley Cup winners are teams with with depth and they get contributions from the top and from the bottom of their roster. And I think it's been a fair criticism that Edmonton has not been deep enough um, mm-hmm. yet. Yes, uh, and they haven't pushed any deeper. So by keeping these guys fresh contributors, uh, I think is, I think that's a good prescription for the entire team and their, and their Stanley cup chances. Yeah, well, tonight, uh, the least ice time on the team was uh, 8.56 for Derek Ryan, 
And of course, normally he'd get a couple or three minutes on the penalty kill, and tonight there was none. There just yep. weren't any penalties. But he still played nine minutes. Gagne played nine and a half. Everybody else was north of 10. And at the high end, Drysaddle was at 21. And then on the back end tonight, it was just a very tight range from 16 minutes for Kulak to 22 for Bouchard. And they were all between 17 to 23 shifts. So they were really pushing all three pairs out in, in sequence. And I mean, this because of the, the lack of penalties, this was really a game to roll the lines and the pairings, and they did all of that. So. Well, this is a cumulative game too, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's, if, you, if you keep running your top six hard all season long, their tank's going to be lower come playoff time. So yeah. you're kind of, yeah. you're socking away some energy now by getting good minutes from those bottom six guys. It's, yeah. It matters in a lot of different ways. Sure. Anyway, the good news is that we're, the Oilers have already bailed themselves out of the desperate hole that they were in two months ago. And I had visions then. Like I always thought, you know, this team's good, too good to not make the playoffs. But I was worried that, you know, we're going to get into March and they're still going to be in, you know, 10th place or, you know, like within a couple of points, one side or the other, the cut line. And there's just going to be no, uh, you know, it's going to be relentless pressure. And now all of a sudden they're 28, 15 and one. And they're way above the pace that they're going to need to to get in. And there's, you know, uh, obviously, we can't expect them to keep winning every game, but I think it's fair to expect there won't be any more 5-12-1 runs either, like they had to start the season. So they've really stabilized that in a quick hurry. I I, I thought it was going to take them most of the season to sort of dig their way out of that hole, but uh, they did it fast and well, uh, more power of, to them. In terms of points percentage, they passed Vegas tonight. Great. The Oilers Love are it. 648 and Vegas is 646, and we've got four games in hand. So. Yeah. Well, four games in hand, that's a double-edged sword because you got to play those games and use the energy and probably play your backup goalie in most of them if you got extra games. You know, you don't want to kill your starter to, to catch up. Uh, so there are not exactly points in the bank, but uh, uh, the the Oilers are starting to, you know, on the, on the percentage side of things, they passed the Kings a while back, and now Vegas and Vancouver is going to be a hard hill to climb this year. But uh, uh, the way, you know, if the Oilers win like all the rest of their games, I think they might finish first place, Kurt. Well, I think they could, yeah. You know, it's, uh, you just the, have the to go, that, you know, another what, thirty-eight more games. Yeah, yeah. The thing that, that <laughs> I I think it'll be a tough. A tough slog to catch Vancouver just because I think Thatcher Demko is a is a is an yeah. actual number one goaltender, um, and I don't think Vegas has that. Um, Casey DeSmith is an actual number two as well. Yeah. That was a real sharp pickup by them. Sure, you know. So, so. Um, I I think that that might be if the way it's going right now, I could see it ending Vancouver Edmonton one two by the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, it's distinctly possible, and by percentage, we're there already. So that's uh, that's fantastic. All right. Well, have you got any any final thoughts? Um, no, except that, like you, I sat through many long seasons in Rexall Place and then uh, Rogers Place, uh, where we sure didn't win 15 in a row. So 
Well, I get that there's always things to pick on and things to critique. I don't know about you, but I'm going to sit back and enjoy this thoroughly and think back to some of those uh, nights when you'd walk out of Rexall Place going, gee, I paid good money for that. <laughs> so yeah. uh, uh, this is this is a pretty good alternative. Yeah, well, I remember the 1981-82 New York Islanders that won 15 straight to set then the league record for longest winning streak. They beat the record of the 1929-30 Boston Bruins. So, you know, it was a half century old record. And there was a lot of, uh, a lot of um, hype, of course, as I got close to it. And they were already the two-time defending champs and they would go on to win two more cups. Uh, but of the 15 straight that they won, they beat Pittsburgh Penguins four times. You know, and this was the pre-Mario Penguins, yeah. which weren't exactly great shakes, although it was, in fact, the Penguins that eventually put an end to Islander Street when they played them a fifth time. <laughs> Pittsburgh finally figured it out, and, and it was a back-to-back and a road game in Pittsburgh, and the Penguins stopped them by, I think it was 3-2 or 4-3, and put an end to it. But by then, you know, they'd achieved the record, then they had a letdown kind of thing. Islanders did. But you know, it wasn't like they were playing the Montreal Canadiens every night either, yeah. right? I mean, the order schedule is what it is. They've hardly played any of the very top teams. Like, there's no Colorados uh, in this uh, in this run or Boston's or, you know, first-place teams. Uh, but they have beaten a number of playoff teams, and it's happened they've had a few teams down lower in the standings. Somebody pointed out that uh, – uh, let's see if I can find it uh, – that the teams that uh, my son sent me this. While you're looking, um, the, the thought I yeah. have on, on the 15-game on the win streak is that, well, no one else is doing it. Uh-huh. <laughs> sure, sure yeah. the schedule's favorable, and I, I, I tend to agree with that, but uh, uh-huh. there's still no one else that's doing it. Okay, this is from Murdoch uh, Davis, former publisher of the Evan Journal. He says, orders have won 15 in a row. A soft parade of opponents, you say? Maybe. But over the stretch of just the last 10 of those 15 games, other NHL teams have lost 58 times to the teams the Oilers beat. Mm. <laughs> so those teams are capable of winning games. They just haven't been capable of beating Edmonton Oilers. Good stat, so, Oh, yeah, yeah. So the Oilers are, you know, they're uh, they're hanging in there and they're just not having any you know, poor games that get away. I and mean, when they do play a poor game, like the one at Chicago about three weeks ago where they won 2-1, which was a brutal game to watch, but somehow they still found a way to win it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's what they're doing these days. And uh, more power to them. It's uh, an incredible role. Well, bring on Nashville, hey? Saturday afternoon. And you and I will have the podcast that day as well, Kurt. And... Uh, I'll have the grades you had them tonight. Thank you for doing those. And uh, uh, David Staples taking a, uh, a, a short vacation, and, uh, uh, having fun in one of the fun places of the world. So uh, meanwhile, one of the fun places in the world for hockey fans is right here in Edmonton. I mean, what's not to like? Yeah. And we'll so. send we'll send Bill, uh, Dave the bill later, right? <laughs> All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Kurt, for uh, pinch hitting for uh, David tonight. And uh, thank you to uh, our loyal audience for listening. 
And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>